Well, good evening. Philippians chapter 1 tonight. I want to begin reading in verse 20, down through verse 26, if you would follow along with me. Tonight we're going to see Paul's core belief, Paul's dilemma, Paul's resolution, and finally a description of Paul's ministry, okay? Remember last week, I'll I'll share this, that Paul was writing this in some ways to alleviate the concerns of the Philippians. Remember, Paul was their missionary. He was to them, the greatest evangelist on earth, and yet somehow he found himself under house arrest in Rome, and they were struggling with that. And so Paul writes them back, and he says, guys, you need to know three things. First of all, he says, you need to trust in the providence of God, that God has me here for a great purpose, and that God is working and moving in ways that you and I can't always see, and we have to trust in his providence. Second, he talks to them about the proclamation of Christ, and then finally last week we ended with where Paul talks about the purpose of his life, is that whether in death or in life, Christ is exalted. Christ is magnified in and through the Apostle Paul. So beginning in verse 20 tonight, let's pick it up there. Let's look at the words of Paul to the Philippians again when he says, My confident hope is that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. For to me, living is Christ, and dying is gain. Now, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean productive work for me, yet I don't know which I prefer I feel torn between the two because I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more vital for your sake that I remain in the body. And since I am sure of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for the sake of your progress and joy in the faith so that what you can be proud of may increase because of me in Christ Jesus when I come back to you. I want to begin tonight where Paul shares in verse 21 of chapter 1 of Philippians, Paul's core belief for living life. And can I just say that this verse alone, if we truly absorb this verse, if we receive this verse, if we allow this verse to impact us, the truth of this verse, the message of this verse, if we lived out this verse every day, it would single-handedly transform our Christian life. If this verse would be in our thoughts every day, it would literally transform our Christian life. It would transform our churches. What is Paul's core belief? Well, first of all, let's look at the first part of it. Paul says, for to me, living is Christ. What's it mean Living is Christ. I want to share four things with you briefly tonight that I got from this. First of all, I think living is Christ means to know Christ as much as possible. To spend my life on earth seeking to know my Savior Jesus 
more and more every day. Let me show you that from the words of Paul himself. Notice over in chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says, more than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung that I may gain Christ. Look at verse 10. My aim now in life is to what? Know him. So I think for Paul, when he says, to me, living is Christ, that means I spend my life to know him more and more every day. Secondly, living as Christ means also to be like him as much as possible. Not just to know him as much as possible, but to be like him as much as possible. Notice over in chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, not that I've already attained this, that is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Verse 14, with this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul said, my whole life is spent not only wanting to know my Jesus more and more, it's wanting to be more like him every day. So that when people see me, they're seeing Jesus. When they hear me, they're hearing Jesus. I think that's what it means, living is Christ. I think another thing that it means is to make him known as much as possible. Not just to know Christ as much as possible, not just to be like him as much as possible, but to make him known as much as possible. Seizing every opportunity to let others know about Christ or to reflect him or for others to see him again in us. Is this not what Paul talked about last week? If you go back to chapter 1, what's he say in verse 13 to the Philippians? I'm in prison for the sake of Christ or for the cause of Christ. Then in verse 18, all I care about, Paul says, is that Christ is proclaimed. I don't care about my reputation. I don't care about what they say about me. But if they're preaching Christ, I'm rejoicing in that, and I will continue to rejoice. And then the purpose of life, he says in verse 20, is that Christ would be exalted, that, that Christ would be magnified in my life, whether it's, or in my body, whether it's by my life or my death. It was always about making Jesus known. So knowing Christ as much as possible, becoming like him as much as possible, making him known as much as possible. And let me give you one more that's just as important as the other three. And this really speaks to me, to the heart of worship series that we're going through. I think Paul would say another way to live as living as Christ is to enjoy him as much as possible. There's a lot of Christians that never really realize, I can enjoy my Jesus. <laughs> and when you and I learn that that's really what worship is, it's, it's setting, sim setting aside time and space every day for Jesus where you and Jesus, me and Jesus, we can just hang out and be with each other and enjoy each other. Be in, our pre be in his presence. That's important. That's why Paul says throughout this letter these words, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in what? Rejoice in the Lord. Paul said, I find my joy 
in the Lord. Psalm 1611 says, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. You and I want to have more joy in our life? Just spend more time in God's presence and enjoy him. Enjoy him, you see. So when Paul says that the core belief of his life, what drove him every day, what got him up in the morning, what directed his steps throughout the day was that living was all about Jesus. I think to Paul it meant four primary things. To know him as much as possible, to be like him as much as possible, to make him known as much as possible, and to enjoy him as much as possible. But Paul doesn't stop there. Part of his core belief is also, and dying is gain. Wow. Paul's saying, you and I as a Christian, because Christ conquered death, not only to destroy the works of the devil and the plan of the devil, and to set those free who through all their life was subject to the fear of death, but he also if you will, through his death and resurrection, opened up the way for our death to not be anything negative at all, but actually to be a promotion. See, we, we as Christians should look at death so differently from the way of the world. We continue to exist. We just exist in a much better way. In fact, notice he says that in verse 23. He says, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. Paul says, can't get any better than that. So I want to share with you for a few moments tonight, too, how is dying gain? What do we gain from that? Well, turn with me. Keep your finger there in Philippians because we'll come back. Turn with me very quickly to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. John says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that whenever it is revealed, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. John is pointing out one day, whether it's through the rapture, the revelation of, of, of Christ when he comes back for his church, or whether in our death, why is death gain, dying gain? Because we're going to see Jesus face to face. We're going to experience Jesus in a greater way than we ever could on earth. That, that literally, we're going to be face to face with Jesus. And we're going to see him in all of his glory one day. That's why dying is gain. In fact, that's why Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, Paul says, that the one who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, until the day you and I see Jesus. And so we're not only going to experience Jesus in a greater way, but we're going to be glorified. We're going to be, if you will, perfected in his presence. In fact, with that in mind, turn back to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. Many people think that this chapter is 
only about love, and it does have a lot to say about the character of love, but it also has something very important to say about what happens after we die. And in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 13, notice another reason that death is gain for the Christian. Not only will we experience Jesus in a greater way, we will also have a greater knowledge and gain knowledge when we see Jesus. For now we see in a mirror indirectly, Paul says, but then we will see face to face. And we will not only see Jesus face to face, obviously we will see all the other saints of God and the angels of the Lord and all that face to face as well. Now I know in part, Paul says, but then when I'm face to face with my God, I will know fully just as I have been fully known. Several things that that means of why death is gained. Not only will we have an experience, uh, Jesus in a greater way, we will experience knowledge in a greater way. You see, while we're here in these earthly bodies, as frail, finite human beings, there's only so much that we can know. Only so much that we can know and grasp now. But Paul says, one of the reasons why death is gain is when we get to the Lord and we get to heaven and we get to glory, it's going to open up for us a knowledge of so much. Now, we're never going to have the knowledge of God we're never going to be God and know all things, but we're going to have a much greater understanding of things, why certain things happen, why this, why that. A lot of our questions will be answered as soon as we get there. And there's something else that I'll throw in here too because a lot of people ask me about it. Will people know me in heaven? Absolutely. And guess what? Based on this verse, you will know others in heaven. And you won't, nor will I, have to be introduced to them. You see, to me, what this verse is teaching is when we get to heaven, God doesn't have to spend a million years going around introducing everybody to everybody. I think that this, along with other verses, is teaching us that when we get to heaven, if I see this person coming down, you know, the street of heaven towards me, I'll just know, well, that's Abraham. Oh, over there's Moses. Well, there's Mary, there's Ruth, there's Esther. I think, and all oh, your Jeff. That we will just know, you see. God is going to take the limitations off of our ability to be able to grasp and comprehend and understand and know. So Paul says dying is gain. First and foremost, because we get to see Jesus in all his glory, we're face to face with him. We experience Jesus in a greater way. That's, that's enough, but Paul says, oh, it doesn't stop there. We also have a greater knowledge. There's also a greater glory coming. Go to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8, verse 18. Paul says, for I consider that our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. And that's coming when we get to heaven with God. Now again, Paul's not minimizing, please understand, he's not minimizing what we go through on earth. He's actually, by this verse, maximizing the glory of heaven. He's saying, I don't care how much you have suffered as a human being. You could have suffered horribly every day your whole life. He says, do you realize the glory that you and I will receive 
and, and our glorified bodies and, and being glorified and even experiencing the glory of the Lord is going to so surpass any, any adversity, any suffering here because he says, here's the thing. As he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this is only temporary. The glory that you and I get to receive and experience is for all of eternity. It never ends. So Paul says, okay, so you suffered for 70 years here on earth. He says, you're going to be in glory for 70 billion years and even more than that. He says, there's not even any comparison. So greater Jesus, greater knowledge, greater glory. <clears throat> Let me give you one more. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 50. This is a passage that I quite frequently use at memorial services, either during the service or at the graveside. And another reason why death is gain is because we get to shed... <laughs> this fallen human nature in these mortal bodies, and we get to, put, get to put on immortality. Notice what Paul says beginning in verse 50. Now this is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So as long as we want to cling to our flesh and blood bodies, guess what? We can't experience heaven. That's why we got to lay, and that's why death should not be something that we dread. I mean, we don't want to die any more than Paul wanted to die, but he's simply saying, if it's my time, I'm good with that because I know what's coming. It's gain. It's far better than anything I could experience here on this earth. And I hope that these verses and passages that we're looking at tonight may comfort you as you've lost loved ones and you have people up there in heaven already that you love. And can I just say, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Let me keep one. So much, so much in my heart that I want to share Verse 51, listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning we will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment in the blinking of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will happen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But notice verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to put up with our fallen human nature anymore. Hallelujah. Because can I tell you, as long as we are here, even as Christians, as much as we may want to do all that God wants us to do, we're always going to have that drag on us. That's why Paul said, even Paul, the things that I want to do sometimes, I find I'm not doing. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. There's going to be a drag because, again, this process that God takes us through to become more like Jesus is a lifetime process lifelong process we never actually get to perfection here but we will one day when we stand before Jesus so no wonder if we go back to now Philippians chapter 1 Paul says here's the core belief of my life this is what I guide my life by every day Paul says that living is all about Jesus Christ 
knowing him more, being like him more and more as much as possible, making him known as much as possible, enjoying him as much as possible every day. And that death is gain for me so that when my time comes to depart this earth, I'm okay with it because I know all the wonderful things that's coming. I'm going to get to see Jesus face to face in all of his glory. I'm going to have a greater knowledge. I'm going to have greater glory. I'm going to get rid of this sinful fallen human nature. I'm going to be able to get rid of, of mortality and put on permanently this body of immortality. No more sickness, no more death, no more disease, no more of that. It's all gone, it says. So that's Paul's core belief. But now notice what Paul says back in Philippians chapter 1, verse 22. Paul has a dilemma. The dilemma is this. He says, now, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean productive work for me, yet I don't know which I prefer. I, I feel torn between the two because I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. I think what was happening here, and I hope this will encourage you, is there are times in our Christian life where we're torn. And in fact, really, Every Christian should sort of feel this way every day of our life. It's like, God, if, if you want me to stay, if this, is, if this is not the end of my life and, and you're giving me more time on this earth, then notice what Paul wonderfully says. I love what he says in verse 22. He says, if I stay, that means productive work. That means my life will count for something. That means that what I'm involved with matters. It means it gives me purpose every day. Do you realize as a Christian, when you and I follow the Lord's will for our life, that every day we live, no matter how long we live on earth, it's always, it can always be productive. It can always be fruitful. It can always be profitable and beneficial to the Lord and to his kingdom and to others. That's amazing when you think about it. Because that means that every day you and I live on this earth, again, there's a purpose for it. It's never purposeless. But then he says, but if it's my time to go, he says, man, I'm ready. If God wants to take me and I can go up to glory with him and the saints of I'm ready. Because he says, I have that desire to always depart and be with Christ. I know God can use me here and I know it can be purposeful and productive and that my life will count for something if, if he wants me here. But man, if he wants to take me up to glory, I'm okay with that too. See, I, I think in a sense, every one of us should live with that tension. It's like, God, as long as I'm here, I'm gonna live for you. And I'm gonna be productive and profitable and beneficial for your kingdom and for others. But God, you wanna take me home? I'm fine with that because I know it's far better than anything I could experience here on this earth. And I think Paul was in a place where maybe there was a hint that this was the end. I don't know whether it was through the Roman soldiers that he was chained to or maybe someone above them or whatever, but, but Paul was sort of getting the impression that maybe this was the end of the line. And that's why he's sharing this with the Philippians. 
And I think he was sharing that not only just to be very transparent about the sort of the struggle, personal struggle that he was having, I think he was sharing it with them to try to encourage them. Guys, you're going to have those same feelings if you're a dedicated Christian because if you're a dedicated Christian, you're going to want God to use you while you're here, but you're going to be okay the day God calls us home too. But I want you to notice something. Notice what Paul says in verse 24. He says, but I'm coming to this conclusion as I pray about this, as I talk to God about it, as I think about it. He says, it is more vital for your sake that I remain in the body. Now, this is important, folks. That word vital means that which compels Paul or would compel anybody and what is indispensable. So don't miss now what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that through the Spirit of God and the insight God is giving me, I'm realizing that I, my ministry to you all in Philippi, is indispensable to your spiritual growth. And that's what compels me to want to stay, because I know how important I could be to your spiritual life. And the reason I want to point that out tonight is so often even in Christian circles, even in churches, and I hope the oasis never gets like this, that, that we sort of treat each other as if we're just sort of pawns in a game and, and you can just pull one out and plug somebody else in and just to fill the position, fill the spot, and somehow it's just going to go on as if it's the same. Can I tell you? It will never be the same. Somebody else may come along and take your place, but they can't replace you because you alone have that unique set of gifts, talents, abilities, temperament, spiritual gifts, and all of that that no one else has. Did they ever replace Moses? Did they ever have another Moses come along? No. Did they ever have another Daniel? No. Did they ever have another Ruth? No. And we as Christians have to get past the idea that somehow we, we, we don't look at each other as that valuable. Like, well, we can just plug somebody else into that position, no big deal. Ministry will keep going. Yeah, it, it may keep going, but nobody's going to bring what you alone could bring to that. You and I need to start looking at ourselves with a greater value, the kind of value that God places on us and the kind of value we should place on each other. I want you to know I, I love ministering and working with the folks that I do here. And I hope you know that you're not replaceable to me. God ever called you somewhere else or something happened to you, it would not be the same. It just wouldn't. But notice Paul's resolution. I love this. And this is, to me, this teaches us so much about the heart of Paul, but can I say that the heart of Paul is simply just reflecting the heart of Christ? Because notice what he says in verse 25. He says, since I am sure of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for the sake of your progress and joy in the faith. What's he sure of? I think he's sure of the fact through maybe the Spirit of God or through, through God's leading that he's not going to die at this point. He's going to continue to live and that he's going to remain and he's going to be able to come back to the Philippians at some point. 
And why is Paul okay with that? Because, listen to what he said. It would be better for me, for me, if I depart and go to be with Christ. That's what would be better for me. But do you know what Paul's saying here? But he's saying, but it's better for you, Philippians, if I stay. So I'm going to choose, if God gives me a choice, I'm going to choose to ask him to stay. Better for me if I go. Better for you if I stay. You see, in that resolution of Paul is an absolute selflessness. And who's Paul reflecting? Jesus. Let's not forget. Better for Jesus if he would have stayed in the halls of glory in heaven and been adored by the angels and the saints who were already there and he would have never left. Bad for us, better for him. But Jesus chose to leave the glory of heaven, assume a human body, be rejected by those he created, be crucified by those he created and came to save, went through all of that suffering and all of that rejection, better for us, but not better for him. And Paul is simply saying that's the way we should live our lives. That when it comes down to choices, instead of choosing what's better for us, we need to be like Jesus and choose what's better for others. And Paul says, so if God's going to give me a choice as I start to pray about this dilemma, I'm going to pray that God keeps me here because at least for a few more years while God gives me life here I know that by me staying here it will benefit you all in Philippi I'd rather go to be with Jesus that's best for me but it's best for you if I stay and then I want you to see real quickly as we wrap this up tonight Paul's ministry and let me say something in verses 25 and 26 not only do we have a description of Paul's ministry we should have a description of our ministry. In fact, these three things should be a description of the Oasis Church and really every church that exists under the leadership and headship of Jesus Christ. Three things. Paul says, first of all, if I stay, I'm staying for the sake of, first of all, notice verse 25, your progress, your spiritual growth. I'm not staying here so that you can stagnate. I'm not staying here so we can just keep on doing the same old stuff. I'm here so that we all can keep moving forward. Now, in this word, too, I want to point that, that, this out. This is a very powerful visual that I think God wants us all to get. This word progress literally was a word that was used to describe armies in the ancient world in this respect. It was when armies were trying to move all of their forces and they literally came maybe to a forest and before they could move that army through, they had to literally cut down all of the timber and all of the forest that laid in their way and then they could make a path for the army to go through. So the word progress speaks about advancing and continuing to move forward in spite of obstacles. 
We need to capture that. We need to get that because so often as Christians and even as churches, it's like, well, I know it'll be God's will or whatever. God's in it if, if everything starts to become easy and, and if there's just this really clear path and there's no obstacles, there's no challenges, there's no problems, there's no trials. That's not biblical. In fact, the Bible teaches just the opposite. When you and I want to make real clear-cut progress in our life, we're going to have to be willing to advance like an ancient army in spite of the obstacles. And we're going to have to be willing by God's power to clear those obstacles in front of us. As a church, we're not going to grow unless we're willing to face some challenges and obstacles and adversity and stuff because that's the only way to, because the enemy's not going to sit back and just continue to let us march forward and not start throwing stuff at us. So unless you and I individually or you and I as a church are not willing to advance in spite of the obstacles and begin to sort of chop down the trees in front of us and continue to move forward, then we're never going to make progress. So that's one. Paul's ministry is all about the spiritual growth and progress of fellow believers. Second, it's about joy. I love that. He, he says, look, if my ministry isn't increasing your joy in your life, then I'm not doing something right. And I thought to myself, wow, we as the Oasis, we need to keep that. That, that whatever we're involved in, we should be increasing each other's joy and the joy of all those who come and are part of our fellowship. Not only their spiritual growth, but their joy. And notice again where both of these are found, in the faith. You and I can't advance or grow or make progress or find joy apart from faith. You see. It's always got to come back to trusting the Lord and being willing, as even we sung, to get out there and step out of the boat and come out when he calls us out to that ocean and that unknown and take that step of faith and say, God, I'm going to follow you. Remember what they did at the Jordan River? God did not part the Jordan River for his people until they, by faith, stepped in the water. He didn't make it all dry and then go, okay, guys, now come on. No, no, the water was at flood stage. And they took the Ark of the Covenant down into the water. And as the priests began to step into the water, then the water parted. See, our problem many times is we want God to part the water before we take the step of faith. And I'm saying that tonight because I really get the impression that there's at least somebody here tonight that God is wanting to encourage you. Take that step of faith. Whatever it is he's leading you to do, don't wait for the dry ground. Don't wait for it to be all parted in front of you. Take that step of faith even at flood stage. And then God will part the water for you. And finally, verse 26, the last thing that Paul's ministry is all about, giving Jesus Christ the glory for everything. In our English translations, and it doesn't matter whether it's the NET, the NIV, the New American, it, it's, it's a pretty wooden translation of the, of the Greek language. But what Paul's saying here is simply so that what you can be proud of, or literally in the Greek, what you can glory in may always increase because of me in Christ Jesus. He's not saying, I don't want you to be proud of me. I don't want you to glory in me, the Apostle Paul. He said, I want you to glory and what Jesus is doing in and through me. It's not me, it's Jesus. 
And I want my ministry, Paul says, to always be about giving Jesus Christ the glory for whatever good is happening through my life. So three things Paul's ministry is all about. Paul's ministry is about progress, about joy, and about bringing glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. So here tonight, we've seen Paul's core belief, for to me, living is Christ, dying is gain. We've seen Paul's dilemma. Man, I feel torn, Paul says. I do want to stay and help you all in Philippi, but boy, I'd love to go and be with Jesus, because that's far better. But Paul resolved himself by the fact that, you know, if I want to be more like Jesus every day, if that's living for me, then I'm going to decline what's best for me and choose what's best for somebody else. And Paul says, when I come back to Philippi, guys, he says, I'm already telling you guys and gals what it's going to be about. When I come back and God starts to use me, I'm going to focus on three things all of our spiritual growth, our joy in the Lord, and giving Jesus Christ all the glory for everything good that's happening in our midst. What a great grouping of focus that we as individual Christians and even as a church should have in our life. Always focused on progress, joy, and the glory of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for this tremendous letter that Paul wrote while he was chained to Roman soldiers. Lord, it should encourage us that many times we limit the impact that our lives can be making because of circumstances. Somehow thinking, God, that you can't work beyond our circumstances, that you can't rise above the circumstances. But God, I pray tonight through our time of worship, through these tremendous songs that we declared truth out into this auditorium, as your truth was spoken here through your word tonight, that God, all of us have been in some way increased and strengthened and refreshed that we realize, God, that whatever we're going through, you're our helper. And you're right here in the midst of it, willing to get us through it if we'll just by faith turn to you, God. And I pray, God, maybe for even just that one here tonight, that, God, you've been working on them to take a step of faith in their life, to step out onto the ocean, to step out no matter what the waves look like, no matter how deep the water is, and realize, God, that if you're calling us out, it's all good. And that if we just by faith are willing to take that step, that the waters will start to part. And we'll start to see the dry land. We never see the dry land, Lord, without faith, though. And so I pray tonight, God, that you would increase our faith, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would give us your faith, God, so that we could believe and trust in you more, so that we could continue, Lord, while we are here to do productive work. We could continue to see, God, in our lives and in the life of our church, progress and, and, and greater joy and, and greater glory coming back to you each and every week that goes by. So, God, would you take us as your people home safely tonight, 
Would you give us great rest tonight in you? And Lord, if you allow us to live another day, would you wake us up tomorrow just spiritually rejuvenated, God, to be able to spend some time with you, to enjoy you as much as possible tomorrow, God, to experience you and your presence in our life. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.